Our high school guidance counselor used to ask us what you would do if you had a million dollars. didn't have to work. And then invariably, whatever you'd say, that was supposed to be your career. So if you wanted to fix old cars, then you're supposed to be an auto mechanic. So what did you say? I never had an answer. I guess that's why I'm working at Inatech. No, you're working at Inatech because that question is bull to begin with. If everyone listened to her, there'd be no janitors because no one would clean up if they had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. Talking about millions of dollars. What would you do if you had a million dollars? I'll tell you what I'd do, man. Two chicks at the same time, man. We're living in a material world and I am a material girl. Or boy. Well, what about you now? What would you do? Besides two chicks at the same time? Well, yeah. Nothing. Nothing, huh? I would relax. I would sit on my ass all day. I would do nothing. Well, you don't need a million dollars to do nothing, man. Take a look at my cousin. He's broke. Don't do If I had a million dollars. Well, welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tamal Andrew on the board. SB Futures up 55. NASDAQ Futures up 196. So it looks like we're going to do a second day of uh, rally here, at least so far. Um, I guess that's a good thing. It's, uh, we'll be chasing a little bit today, but that's all right. We're good at chasing. Brendan, how are you? I'm doing fine today, Chief. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I, uh, I'm a little bit concerned, uh, even though it, it, it ought to be that uh, everybody's real happy with the market doing this. I I don't necessarily feel that uh, 2 and 3% moves one way, one way and the other are all that healthy, but that would just be me. Um, I mean, well, I, I don't think that you're alone in that, but it, it just... Um uh, it's always interesting to me how we, we, we as a society, tend to focus on the day-to-day activity instead of overall concerns. And if things are going to change every day, it's just how what are the trends going to do and how long are they going to last, whether they're going up or down. Um, yeah, I'm just uh, I'm going through. I don't know. I mentioned to you last week is crazy stuff. I've, I'm here looking for a number, so I don't think I'm, I'm not listening. I am looking for uh, how many people are on food stamps. Uh, there we go, 38 million. I, I dug from, uh, I'm, uh, you haven't been here in a while with the COVID, but I'm actually trying to clean up my filing system, such as it is. <laughs> and I dug if up. Your filing system is like my filing system. I wish you a lot of luck. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, but I, uh, you know, I, I, I just wonder why, you know, you wonder why you save this stuff. Well, you, you save it because, uh, um, it's, it's, it was, it, you thought, you thought it was important at the time, so that's why you saved it, right? So, I just uh, was looking here, and, it, and this stuff, you know, I, I uh, as I, as you know, I have to deal sometimes with some serious right wingers on the weekend, which is always interesting. Uh, let's just say that um, the people on either side, on the extremes, really don't want to hear about anything that they might disagree with. What they, they block out everything that, that you know they might want to hear in the middle. Yeah, and it's and it's pretty scary. But uh, one of the things that I, I uh, absolutely am sure I'm right on is that and, and Carl and a bunch of the other guys on the show even though they don't know they have they've instilled this in me that <clears throat> you got to look at a you got a south side you, you, you should look at a much longer term perspective and everybody who tells you that is, is, as much as uh, I'm not a big fan of the man's and I don't, I don't know where the hell he's coming from and half his stuff Joe Biden the idea that the entire world is falling apart in the last two years and it was fine up till then. Is is so ignorant. I can't. I can't even go there. I mean, it's you know, same thing with Trump. As bad of a job I thought he did, he didn't mess everything up to the extent that you know we're, we were messed up when we came out of his his reign, for lack of a better term. So I'm digging out all this stuff, and, it, and it's amazing that what uh, uh, 
the stuff that we see are from like the 2014, 13, when we started the show. How, mm-hmm. how, how amazingly, it's it's the same. You know, we start talking about uh, income progression and things like that. And here's one from on 2013. It's nine economic facts that will make your head spin. Now, this is February 18, 2013. So we're five years after 2008, right? The number right. one, re- recovery for the rich, recession for the rest. Economic recovery is in rather limited supply, it seems. Research by economist Emmanuel Sayez, where the hell he is, shows the top 1% has employed income growth over 11% since the official end of the recession. The other 99% hasn't fared so well, seeing a 4%, 0.4% decline in income. It's, it's incredible when you think about it. The top 10% of earners hauled in 46.5% of all income in 2011, the highest proportion since 1917. I don't know what 1917 uh, was interesting about that year. You World were, War One. Yeah, was it was it the end? when did it end? Nineteen eighteen. Uh, yeah, seventeen and nineteen was World War One. That doesn't even include money yeah. earned from investments. The wealthy have benefited from favorable tax status and the rise in stock prices, while the rest have been hit with continuing unemployment crisis that has kept wages down. Uh, half of us are poor, barely scraping by. The latest Census Bureau says that one in two Americans currently falls into either the low income category or is living in poverty. Low income is defined as those earnings between. 100 to 190 percent of the 199 of the poverty level adjusted for inflation. The earnings for the bottom 20 percent of families have dropped from 16,788 in 1979 to just under 15,000. So how the hell, since 1979, 2013, could earnings be dropping for people? It's 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 absolutely incredible. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you, you go through this, and then the, the next one, and why I kept this one, is how many people are under. That are being uh, taken care of, for lack of a better term, by the by the uh, adult uh, government. This is in uh, 2014. So, that according to analysis of U.S. numbers conducted by some guy, 86 million full-time private sector workers in the U.S. paying taxes to support the government, and nearly 148 million that are getting something from the government. Those numbers don't match. I don't see how that works. Continuing to you. That that doesn't work very well for the long term. No, uh, the uh, U.S. So the number of women in the U.S. that had jobs outnumbered the number of women in the U.S. Uh, foods uh, on food stamps by more. This is in uh, ten years ago. The number of women in the U.S. that had jobs outnumbered the number of women in, in the U.S. on food stamps by a two to one margin. Right now, the number in the U.S. on food stamps is actually exceeds the number of women that have jobs. It's it, this is absolutely incredible when you think about it. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and I don't, I don't know. See how it, how it, back in the seventies, one out of fifty Americans was on food stamps. Today, one out of every six point five Americans is on food stamps. So right wow. now, I've, I've got food stamp recipients. Right now, today is thirty eight, almost thirty nine million people. And the weird part there, Brennan, is, I think, if you looked, you could find some studies that would say there's another like ten million people that qualify that are too proud to go get them. That's right. And those are the ones who are also going to food banks right now, but yep. not not either qualifying officially or uh, or willing to go to food stamps. And according to this, this is in 2014 that the average person gets what a buck and a half a meal um, for mm-hmm. food stamps. I don't see how you do that when pizzas are 40 bucks. I know. And yet, it, it is interesting though that the, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Yeah, I uh, I've had a similar discussions over time with Val that, uh, and, and other people who constantly complain at a certain point in time about how bad things are, and 
And then I go back to the history book from, like, you had uh, 10 years ago, but I go back to the history books in the, in the 70s or the 50s, and there's a lot of similarities, both in the political realm and also the economic realm. And you realize things just haven't changed. Our memories, uh, our recollections of how things were in the idyllic 50s growing up uh, in that time and the 60s and the 70s, have changed, and our perceptions of what it was like back in the, the 20s, in the roaring 20s, um, you know, has, has changed. But a lot of that does not match reality, like you're showing in these articles. Well, I think there was a time, and I guess the, the, the big question when we talk about, you know, American middle class and all this other kind of stuff, is 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 the idea from 1947 or whatever, I'll, I'll find the piece of paper here, 1947 to 1979, where every income class in the, enti- in the entire country moved, I got it right here, I found it, my filing system, uh, God, is my filing system awful, uh, 1947 to 1979, every income class grew roughly 100% in income in that 32 years. The next 27 years, uh, the bottom half grew 15%, bottom bottom 20%, sorry. Uh, second 20% grew 22, third 23, fourth 33. The top 20%, 95%, but here's the kicker, Brendan. If you, if you pull the top 1% back out of that top 20%, they only grew thirty-one percent. So, mm-hmm. so, and, and for for thirty-two years, we grew roughly three percent a year across the board. In the next twenty-seven years, um, half of one percent, maybe one percent, maybe one percent, and one one group grew two hundred sixty-one percent. Um, I guess the question is, and, and you know, I guess this is a, a real serious question: is was the post-war era, that 30 years roughly, was that is there ever been another time in history where there, where there was, was that sort of evenness and there was a, a middle class of that magnitude, was it was it totally an aberration or is it something that we can get back again, not, you know, not, you're not going to go back to Andy and Mayberry, but some idea where everybody is, is moving forward together, at, at least at some point, I mean not everybody's going to be equal all across the board, but we're you know, one group doesn't get a raise for t- 15 years, while the other group, like, quadruples. I mean, uh, is, is that just totally an aberration? We, we, we could never, had nothing to do with government, nothing to do with anything, it just happened. And now all of a sudden... Well, my, rec- my recollection of, of American history, and just focus on American history, not world history at this point, is whether that's an aberration or not. I think that was an aberration. And a lot of things, you know, happened at the same time. The... Um, there was a, an economic boom after World War II based on all the industrialization of creating things during World War II. There was kind of demand from things like the automobile industry. There were things like uh, the interstate highway system that allowed people to move to the suburbs for better housing and yet to move into the city or to other suburbs for housing. There were a lot of things that was just a platform of activity circumstances that made those boom periods from 47 to 79 incredible and an aberration. And then things just kind of settled down to a new normal type of a thing where those were expected. And then things changed. And remember also 79 is when we had the big economic recession and inflation going through the roof. Stagflation happened. And there were a lot of other things that happened at the time. So I, I believe that that was an aberration. That was an aberrant time in our history. I don't know if we can ever get back there again. Well, the the share of income, people's perceived share of what a, 
of who should make what in a, in a, in a company has, has certainly changed. And it, it's, I mean, I, uh, we're gonna have to, I would like to get, uh, maybe one day if we can get a, you for a little longer segment, I'd love to have uh, Eric on with us. And Eric has done an awful lot of study on what the, he, what he considers to be the, the growth of this managerial class, which he thinks is, is the biggest danger we've ever sort of had here. And, uh, the sense that these people that manage companies, they don't they never invented anything. They don't own the place. Mm-hmm. Yet they think they're worth like a fortune. I mean when I yeah. when I was at Pullman, like I said, the, the the chairman made roughly ten to fifteen times as much as somebody on the on the uh as a welder. On the line. And mm-hmm. I I'm gonna say that people think now that that number should be I mean what do the people that work at, at Citigroup think they're worth? What do the, the people at at uh, Commonwealth Edison think they're worth? Because there's mm-hmm. there's no there's no there's no chance that the shareholders can actually tone that down. I'll, I'll bet if you went out for uh, you know executive searches, you could find people at all those firms that would work for a third of what those people are getting paid. Oh, absolutely, I, I, I totally agree with that. And and you're right. A lot of the managerial class really hasn't done anything yet. They believe that they're the smartest guys in the room, and you know that. If you think about it, that's analogous to Enron. When you think about the yeah. millions of, pe- of dollars that the, the high levels of Enron was, and that was a house of cards, but yet they you know, believe they were the smartest guys in the room and would never get caught. And I'm not equating most managerial C-suites as the same as Enron, but I do think that there's an overvaluation of the intelligence and the necessary rewards for intelligence as perceived in the, in the C-suites uh, over the last 40 years. Well, and, and you'll see some, some pockets of activity where in some of these companies that run way up just because, it's, you know, I don't think they know if they should be listed, where some of the stock prices get way inflated. And then uh, essentially the, before even the owners, the people that put money up, get their first dividend, you've got people in the C-suite selling their stock for like hundreds of million dollars. And then, and then the stock goes down and, and everybody else... <laughs> Gets nothing, and those guys everybody else is holding the bag. And everybody else holding the bag. I, I don't, I don't know how you stop that necessarily. But one, one thing, I think, and I don't know how to fix this. You probably would have a better shot at it. Somehow or another, in the, in the corporate world, this, this idea of the independent boards and shareholder power, it's, it's, a, it's a, you know, it's a fabrication. There's nothing there. The people that gain control of the place have all this of other people's money, and they, and they think it's theirs. I mean, I, to be honest with you, I'd much rather have a have a Rockefeller than I would have a Jamie Dimon. At least Rockefeller mm-hmm. owned the damn place with his money, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying I, I like the guy at all, but, but by the way, did, did, you, uh, did you ever watch that, that uh, special on the Pullman Porters? I don't know, it's probably on Netflix someplace or whatever, maybe it's on YouTube. I... I have a vague recollection of that. What, what's I, I do remember seeing something about that on a TV program. Was that a like a PBS special? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it was some you know, History Channel or whatever. And and uh, for those that don't remember, the Pullman Porters were were all black. I don't, I'm not sure why they all wore, but uh, for whatever reason, it was a it was a black job. And uh, and the guys who had the job uh, pretty much loved it. I mean, it was, I mean, it was mm-hmm. and. Uh, and just to give perspective to people who may be a little younger, the biggest in the 50s, by far the biggest hotel in the country was Pullman. 40, 40 or 45,000 people slept every night on the rails. Was that the number? It was some huge number, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And uh, 
Well, the Pullman porters took care of you if you were in first class. <clears throat> I mean, if you're if you're sleeping in your coach seat, you didn't have a porter, right? Uh, but the rest of the guys, they, they took care of you. And uh, so one of the guys, evidently the, uh, the the trainer would take Rockefeller home. He was up somewhere in upstate New York. I don't know where he had his. I'm sure it was on the Hudson somewhere. All those guys had places on the Hudson. So the train would take him up there. And, uh, of course, he had, like, he and his wife had, like, 25 bags or something. So the train stops and the porter's putting all the stuff on this big horse front carriage or whatever. And, and uh, Rockefeller would, would wing, like, 30 cents over his shoulder because he didn't want to touch the guy's hand thinking the black would come off. Yeah. Yep. And then the wife would be so embarrassed she'd turn around and give the guy, like, a dollar. <laughs> God. Mm-hmm. But she'd hand it to him at least. You know, one, one end of the paper, I don't know if he was able to touch, you know, they far enough away. I'm thinking, what is, what is wrong with these people? But at least, at least it was the guy's own dough, right? <laughs> he, wasn't, mm-hmm. he, he just didn't wander in and say, by the way, I've never invented a drug, I never did anything, but I, I deserve $30 million a year as the head of this firm, and by the way, I need a bonus. I mean, uh, yeah. so, I mean, it... Even if our numbers are down this year or this yeah. quarter, I still need a bonus. <laughs> yeah, whatever, whatever it is, if something bad happens, you know... <laughs> God, speaking of, you, you didn't happen to have the misery of watching. I was driving home last night, and I just happened to turn the radio on there, and they're, they're, uh, they're interviewing the Bearhead coach. But you know what? He seems like a nice enough guy, and I, and I hope he's, I wish him success. Everybody says he's a good dude. But, uh, God, what an interview. I, I, I couldn't even, I, it couldn't be me in my worst day. Yeah, you know, the guys, our edge rust was spectacular. We've been talking how good our edge rust was. This was so good. God's sake, they sucked. <laughs> What is he talking about? According to him, every, everybody played a good game. And it, they have, were a few things we're working on and this and that. Of course, the questions are so softball. Nothing like, for God's sake, you can't complete a pass to save your life. <laughs> Whatever. Well, I mean, I feel for the guy right now because he's in a really bad spot with oh, yeah. the penalties got on the team. Uh, I mean, I, I I have not seen all the Bears games this year. Obviously, I was away for a while. But um, uh, I, I can't believe the number of drop passes that are there and the amount of overthrown passes. I mean, the other night in the Washington game, uh, he had Griffin wide open in the end zone, and he overthrew him by a yard and a half. <laughs> I mean, he even said later on that you know, I have to make that play. I'm an NFL quarterback. But the guys, well, I mean, Griffin didn't have a guy within three yards of him, and and he just floated it over his head. It was a true touchdown. There are a lot of other passes that uh, the, the Bears just keep dropping. It, it's it's incredible, um, and. Yeah, the line is porous. They've, they've got some injuries on the line, and uh, they don't have much talent. They, they, they just don't seem to have much talent at all. And it puts even Fuse in a bad position, and you know, it also makes it un- unlikely to really give a fair, uh, a fair evaluation of Justin Fields as to whether he's going to be uh, an NFL quarterback or an NFL quarterback with the Bears. You look at the Bears' history, even with guys like Mitch Trubisky and. Um, and we really have never had a really good quarterback. <laughs> Brendan, I was uh, back in my youth. I used to love to go skiing, right? So one year, were you ever a skier? I imagine you were. Yeah. Well, we, tra- we tried to go, uh, you know, pretty much everywhere new. So one year we drive out to uh, Jackson, Wyoming. Talk about a drive. Good Lord. In my 73 Jeep Wagoneer. Um, anyway, so we're out there in, in, in the Jackson, Wyoming paper. There must have been somebody from Chicago out there. So I remember, I wish I had this article. The back page of the paper was, you know, it's not a, it's a tabloid. It's not like the Tribune or anything. Well, the Tribune's not even like the Tribune anymore. But it was a tabloid, and the guy in the back page was talking about how in the last 10 years or whatever, 15 years, 
the amount of coaches that changed in Chicago, the Bulls, the Blackhawks, the Sox, the Cubs, and the Bears, was astronomical. <clears throat> and, uh, and now it's not, it's not the coach. And, uh, and, and basically, he was going through the whole routine. The reason why you change coaches, <coughs> if your team sucks, is because the fans then give the new guy a couple of years before they it's can right. leave from one night with, with knives. Yeah. Does that, but does anybody think, I mean, uh, it's, it's not like whether you like his personality or not. It's not like Nagy didn't know how to coach. <laughs> he came from Kansas City. They were happy to get him back. It's not like the guy didn't know what the X's and the O's are, right? I mean, there were none mm-hmm. of these. I mean, it's so he and, it, and he says it's all about managing the fan outrage, where you know you get a yeah. new coach, and everybody's fired up, and all of a sudden the ticket prices go up because we got a new guy. And the first thing he says is, "Come in. Well, under my leadership, we're going to block harder, tackle harder, run harder. I'm going to run more sprints in training camp. I'll get these guys playing." It's, a, it's always the same BS, right? <clears throat> and yet, yeah, it is. And uh, so, what was it uh, last week? I can't believe he's still on the air. It was either Hilgenberg or Schwancy or one of those guys said something to the effect, do any of our people, even could they even start on the other team? I mean, I'm going to say the two <laughs> running I'd say the two running backs would, uh, Rokan Smith would, tight end maybe. <clears throat> I mean, who else? You know, Not I, very many other people. Well, that, that one kid... Uh, do you remember... Do you remember uh, a high school team in uh, in Washington D.C. Dematha High School? Oh, God, that's where. Uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, Adrian Dantley went to Dematha. Right. It's, a, it's been a big. The thing passing. about Dematha is that uh, even if you were a bench player who never got into the game, you were pretty much assured of getting a scholarship to at least a Division Two team that's not a Division One team, even if you never got in the game, because the quality of that team and the, and the, the quality of the players was such that you had to be good to even make the team. And and then your point about, you know, would any of the Bears right now be able to start or even play for another team uh, is a very good comparison. You know, it, it's kind of an antithesis of, of the Manapha strategy, but, um, you know, just because you're on the Bears doesn't mean you're an NFL player. <laughs> well, I mean, I think this year things, things changed. And they now have, like, nine or ten rookies that are all pretty fast. And I think you're going to get yeah. some ball players out of there. But... But for a while, <clears throat> they were getting what four to six, you know, even draft picks a year, and they didn't want those. But they're trading them away. And they weren't top draft picks. You know, they, no, they, they traded away their first, second round draft picks for a number of years, and they didn't get the quality in return. You know, I mean, you could argue that when they they made the big deal for Khalil Mack, that they they got something for Khalil Mack and his performance for a couple of years. But there was not enough people surrounding him to really make that much of a difference. But they traded away their future. By uh, for a, for a one year two year game and it didn't work out and they put themselves in a deeper hole every year. It's like that. you know we may be losing money, but we'll we'll trade more so that we make it up on volume. Um, you see you see the game last night. He was spectacular, Khalil Mack. No, I didn't see that. He's on uh, one of the teams. I think he's on uh, San Diego. He was he was, oh, he was uh, just disrupting everything. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, good for him, but you know, well, you know I, I think that he didn't have the personnel around him to uh, in, in the Bears to really make that much of a difference. Because you, well, if you have one, uh, well, I guess for a couple of years he had Quinn, but uh, you know when Quinn wasn't playing well, they just kept beating up Mon Mac and double teaming and triple teaming Mac, so he couldn't really do what uh, what was expected of him. Plus, I think if you're a veteran and you have one of these big salaries, if if the team sucks. Every 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 little injury, you sit out a week. Where if the team's good, you play. Yeah. 
I'm not talking about when I say there's a difference between being being hurt and being injured. Like hurt, everybody's hurt, but you know, injured is yeah. like you got a broken leg, you can't play basically. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but you do want. I was looking up uh, nothing better to do Sunday morning for when I was talking to Kevin, texting him back and forth, and I, I looked up. I was just like um, the quality, the the best guards in the in the National League. Well, like Cody Whitehair is like in the third or fourth tier, so he's a real ball player. But the mm-hmm. you know the center is not there. I mean, he's from Notre Dame. He's, he's I think he's getting better, but he wasn't drafted. The tackles, I guess, are I don't think. I mean, if I, if you lined up all sixty offensive tackles, where do they place? Forty, forty-five. They're not. There's no there's no Jordy Nelson. There's no Zach Martin at, at the guard spot. The only one who's really anybody right. would want probably is White here. Yeah. And he's and out. even guys like even guys like Lucas Patrick uh, were good a couple of years ago, but. Yeah, don't register right now very well. Well, the one, the, the thing, the thing that <clears throat> killed the McCaskies on the, who was the guy? Maddie knows his name. Who was the guy? I'm going to say ten years ago, he was like an all-pro all guard. And he got cut because of salary cap, and the Bears kind of got him off the scrap heap. He ended up giving the Bears like five or six damn near all-pro seasons, and they didn't have to pay the guy very much. So somehow or another, they got the message that. The offensive linemen are compiling to you if you just wait long enough and other people cut them because they're paying them too much. That you can actually... Mm-hmm. That happened one time. And it hasn't happened yeah. since. But that one guy, I mean, he's, they're still convinced that if they wait long enough, they'll get one. But but then again, I mean, look at the Packers. I mean, uh, you, you maybe can appreciate that the Packers... Well, what's his name? This guy, Rodgers, is not a number one pick, right? Was Favre? I don't think Favre was. Um, I think I think Aaron Rodgers was uh, a first round pick, not a number one overall, but I think he was in the first round. Okay, well Favre was, and he came and with the coach, right? Favre Favre was not drafted by the Packers. Favre was drafted by the New Orleans Saints. Yeah, and I think it was maybe third round or so, and then he was traded to the Packers after his first year. When it did look like he was going to be very promising. Well, then the first. So that's 25 years of quarterbacks <clears throat> with one number one pick. The Bears have had seven or eight. They've, 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 they've wasted mm-hmm. a number of quarterbacks, and not one of them has been very good. The kid was kid from Denver was pretty good. <clears throat> if he'd been on a decent team, he'd have been all right. But they beat the hell out. What was his name? You, uh, you mean Kyle Orton or Jay Cutler? Jay Cutler. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we got a dash, Brennan. Good stuff. Uh, I'm going to try and get you on with uh, – with Eric, they go over some of this stuff. Pretty interesting stuff, I think. SB Futures up 60, NASDAQ Futures up 213. We're trying to do this two days in a row. Maybe we will. We did two weeks ago. You're right back, Stacks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. 
Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage health care costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks. Jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here. Right now. Hello and welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom I'm Andrew on the board. SP Futures up 64. ASA Futures down 232. We're doing this uh, a little too often here. I mean, we were. this is uh, two weeks ago we did the same thing and we barely finished up for the week. Uh, we had a big up move on Thursday last week. Gave it all back on Friday. This is a two, 2% moves constantly, maybe three. It's, 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 well, we'll talk to Joel about whether it's healthy or not, but it's, it's certainly different. Let's put it that way. Uh, Dow Futures up 426. Goldman Sachs is up... Uh, Seven bucks as they came out. Gee, Goldman Sachs making money with all those trading government bonds. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Um, anyway, boy, those, <laughs> I don't know. Those guys are so in like a, like a tick on a dog. It's, it's incredible. They always have been. DAX up 159, 1.2%. FTSE up 62.9%. CAC around up 62. That's a full 1% over in Asia. UK up 380, making back what they lost yesterday. 1.4, uh, it's 1.4%. Shanghai down f- 4 bucks. Call that flat. Hang Seng making a run towards 17,000, up 301. It's almost 2%. That's the biggest move they've had in a while. Maybe they will uh, get out of this um, harangue they've been in. Uh, as a review of yesterday, Dow was up 550, S&P up 94, NASDAQ up <coughs> 354. So it was a huge day to the upside. It looks like we're doing another one today. Uh, bonds, 10-year, <coughs> down two basis points, 3.96. So it's right, 3.996. So we're right at 4%. The Bund up two basis points, 2.29. Uh, Japan up two basis points, 0.27. It's the first time we've seen that move high there off the 0.25. So interest rates are 
on, on the high here. Uh, oil down 37 cents, 85.09. Brent down 29, 91.13. Uh, natural gas up two cents, 6.02. Our Bob down two cents, 2.57. Which makes you wonder why we're paying 4.50 in the Burbs and 5.50 in the city here. Kind of makes you wonder. It makes you want to figure out who's the crook. Gold down six bucks, 16.57. Silver down five cents, 18.67. Copper down four cents, 3.37. We've got Bitcoin up 42 bucks, 19,569. Still can't get it back up to the 20,000 number. We have the U.S. dollar, uh, very slight movement. Uh, the euro dollar is 0.98, and the, and the pound, they're both down a little bit. The pound's down 0.43, 1.13. Andrew, what do you got for us, Traffic Weather Sports? All right, it is 6:36 here in Chicago on Tuesday, October 18th. And last night in sports, uh, for football, the Chargers came out on top over the Broncos in a 19 to 16 game. And over in MLB, there was going to be one game between the Guardians and the Yankees, but that has been postponed and will be played today at 3.07 p.m. Now for Chicago weather, it is currently cloudy and definitely chilly at 34 degrees. We're going to be reaching up to 48 with a low of 34. And over in Phoenix, it is mostly clear at 68 degrees with a high of 85 and a low of 68. Now for Chicago traffic, just very recently we had an accident in the middle of the Eisenhower by Harlem Avenue, which is causing very heavy delays in between uh, the whole road from there to downtown. Uh, but other than that, traffic is building on the Jane Adams and especially the Stevenson, as a uh, traffic near the start of the Stevenson is reducing it down to one lane. But that's all I got today. Back to you, Chief. Joel, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well, Chief. Did you see that Michigan running offense on Saturday? I, uh, I did. 18 yards. Yeah, you know, I can't, I can't believe they had, they had this really good fan that a year ago declared they're now a basketball school. Yeah, we're in everything school, Chief. Everything: hockey, academics, football, basketball, swimming. Back when I was on the swim team, we were won the Big Ten and we're six in the NCAA's. Not that I scored any points for them, but uh, I don't know. It's good to see. Uh, what about that Tennessee-Alabama game? Yeah, wow. wow. That was a classic. I mean, it's SEC is still the best in class, I guess, but Ohio State and Michigan. You know what the big difference is with Michigan? And I was talking about this with my buddy that, that they came in um, uh, for the game. When, when Michigan walked out against Georgia – in that national, in the semifinal game, I look at some of those Georgia players, and it's the same way I look at those Alabama players. They were just massive. I mean, I know the yeah. Michigan players are big, but I mean, just the bodies, the legs, the you know, the, the the torso, and just those NFL bodies. And we're starting to get some slowly, but. Uh, Man, oh man, just, uh, you know, the, the bigger they are, the harder they are to tackle and the harder they are to block. Well, no doubt about that. I, what do you make of uh, whatever, you know, I, I don't know the answer. That's why I'm asking the question. Something has changed in the last year or two. For, for two decades, damn near, you had three or four schools, I'm going to say Alabama, Ohio State, once in a while, Georgia or Clemson, that were capable of, uh, shall we say, piling on the depth in their in their programs. Or even if they got 10 people drafted one year, they all, they replaced the 10. You never knew they were gone. Where Michigan, Notre Dame, those kinds of schools, if if they ended up with a really good team one year, the next year, and they, if they lost 9 or 10 guys, they were, you know, 
three or four years before they come back to that sort of talent. Never had the depth. Southern Cal, I put in that group too. Do you think the transfer portal is making a difference? Every every, oh, yeah. every team I every game I see, there's a guy who's kind of a stud who's a transfer from Alabama. It seems. I mean, it, I mean, is it is this evening things out? I mean, all of a sudden now, I don't know that Alabama is that much better than all these other teams. You know how like Harbaugh, he came in kind of hot and then like he cooled off, got really cool, super cool. Um, I think he he kind of recognized you know the direction that college football was going in the direction of professional football. Yeah, and uh, I I think that. Um, you know, they, he did some ridiculous things when uh, he came in. They had, like, a, a big signing pay thing. And I, I think it is a little, you know, so maybe you're looking for a different type of kid. You know, maybe you're not, you know, maybe you're looking for that. You know, you always want the five stars. But there's a lot of three, four stars out there that can be developed. And I think he kind of, I mean, he did get J.J. McCarthy was a five star. But I think he just was like, you know, you come to my program, you know, come to Michigan, obviously we're going to be getting good education, we're going to be with a lot of great people, and, you know, maybe I can get you some... Joe, you, you got to move somewhere in the room, we can barely, we can barely hear you, you got to move over in the room somewhere. We can barely hear you, you got to move over in the room somewhere. Well, okay, hold on, my, it's probably my, uh, my, um, hold on one sec, hold on one sec. These Is this better? Yes. Okay, it's probably my AirPods dying. Um... The, uh, you know, come to Michigan, compete with, you know, other top athletes. You know, I'll give you a chance to play. Um, I'll try, I'll get you some NIL money. I'll get you, you know, I got a chance. If you're good enough, I'll get you into the league uh, with my brother. And, you know, I think he was a little bit ahead of that. And it took him a while to get the athletes in. And then his brother helped him out getting some uh, assistant coaches. So, uh, you're, uh, it's totally, it's a transfer portal, it's a professional game, and, you know, who knows, it's going to be the Michigan Pepsi Wolverines versus the Ohio State Coca-Cola Buckeyes. I mean, it's it's it's, it's a business, Chief. We've always known that. It, you know, the schools have made the money. There's been a little bit of a shift with the NIL, uh, but it's a, it's a billion dollar, billions and billions of dollar business, and it, it always has, and now it's really, as far as the players and What's happening in the actual structure? It, it, it's here and it's now. I don't, it's have, I don't have a. Uh, I don't have a problem with it except let's 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 admit it. Let's say it's the Michigan and Notre Dame sponsored professional football league. But let's go there and, let, and let's make sure that there's there's taxes when people go buy the ticket. You know, let, let's let's make sure that the players are paying taxes on the stuff they're getting. They should probably be even paying taxes on their tuition. I mean. uh I mean, let's do it. I mean, if we're going to do it, let's just do it. I mean, Rick Tallender put that in his book 30 years ago. That, that you know, this, uh, that this, these should yeah. be, they should just be a professionally sponsored or a, a college-sponsored uh, <clears throat> professional feeder league for the NFL, which is what they are. Yeah, well, um, I don't know about getting behind that campaign, but uh, if you're... If you're on it, I'll uh, I'll be a supporter. It's true. But well, I mean, I don't I don't, I don't like it necessarily. It's had a lot of power. But I, I mean, had a lot of power. Okay, but I mean, I like it, and 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 obviously, sports is the opiate of the people. I mean, but uh, I mean, I mean, okay. if, I mean, if Notre Dame wants to be in the game, my buddies last week they played lousy. They got the, they, the kid is the worst quarterback I've ever seen in, in a major college. He's just, well, okay, the, the first string guy who wasn't that good, he got hurt. 
Now they're talking about, well, the guy, the freshman coming in next year, or the fresh. Hey, if you're charging 100 bucks or more a ticket, way more, and you got this contract, if you don't have a quarterback, you go out and get one through the, tra- the portal. Yeah, you, I agree. You, I mean, you're really either going to play in this game or you're not. I, I, I'd be just happy if they didn't, to be honest with you. But, but they could be like the University of Chicago, and I'd, st- I'd still, you know, have, you know, I still went to school there. I still have friends from there. But, I mean, if, if you're going to be in the game, be in it. You know? Yeah, I, yeah, I can't argue with you, Keith. Well, and I, I think if you're going to have a, a young coach to, as an assistant, um, you you have to tell the guy as much as you may like him because everybody likes the guy. And uh, you got to tell him you're the coach. But by the way, you're getting two professional offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators. What they're doing with with Kelly's guy, the big thing with Tommy Reese wanted to go with Kelly. We we made sure we kept him here. Why? Why the, the the kid is is nowhere near the uh, the, the the competence level of of somebody you could get from the pro ranks. And if you're going to play in that league, you know. You know, if you're going to play in the A League at Kelly Park in softball, you better bring some players. If not, play in the B League, right? Am I right or wrong? Hey, I've got a question for you. Uh, The market doing this up, down, up, down, up, down, two days in a row up now. Healthy or not healthy? Uh, I mean, it's healthy for my portfolio. So, uh, you know, we'll get through this earnings season here. We just had a big turn in sentiment. I wish it wouldn't have been on... uh, uh, Britain cutting, uh, you know, uh, reinstituting taxes, but uh, the momentum's changed, Chief, and uh, let's just get through this earnings season. Well, if it changed, how do you explain Friday? How do I explain Friday was by the day? How do I explain Friday? Friday was just got overdone on Thursday, a little bit too much of the, uh, of the uh, you know, the rally off the bad number, and the, the, big, the big people that chased on Thursday got hurt. But the smart people on Thursday bought the dip, and it was a, it, we we sold up, sold off on Friday, but it was the sellers coming to the buyers. They were there, they took it, they took their positions, and um, I just we'll see. We need a couple updates in a row. Yesterday was up, today's looking up. It's just I don't know for whatever reason the sentiments changed. You know the dollars backed off a little bit. There's been no disasters yet in earnings. We still have a lot of big tech. Uh, to go, so could be, you know, once again, we'll have to figure out whether it's a fair market rally or things have finally turned around. Well, we'll see. If I, I I don't know that we think it's, I think it's happened in the last few years. The market is totally separated from society, and I I think people well, are expecting it to do that again. I don't know that it can this time. I mean, I mean, how many times does a company like Pepsi come out with good earnings and tell you all they do is raise prices? Well, duh. Okay, every time you I mean every time you do that you're you're hurting somebody. I mean it doesn't appear that we're moving forward together, does it? People are still spending money, Chief. That's the thing. Higher prices, whatever you say, people are still going to Kohl's, they're still going to the they're still spending, they're still going on vacations. And if you're doing that in a rising <coughs> interest rate environment, maybe it shows we have a really strong economy. Well uh, That's all right. Yep. I don't well right. we, we will see. Take care, bud. SP Futures up 69 now, NASDAQ Futures up 238. Be right back, Kenny Polkiri. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? 
Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Hello, North Bank Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Andrew on the board. SP Futures up 60, up 70. So we're continuing to push it here for two days in a row. SP Futures up 235. Kenny, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Uh, this sound like uh, deja vu of two weeks ago or what? Monday, yeah, Tuesday? It, it really does. You know, we were in a. We were in an extremely oversold position, as we all know. The market had kind of overreacted to the downside. We started to get some, you know, very decent earnings reports compared to what the initial expectation was. Now, recognizing that the bar's been lowered. We all, we all know that, but uh, the bar's been lowered. The, the banks have all performed very, very nicely. Goldman Sachs just came out and had a real big beat on it. I haven't had a chance to go through those numbers yet, but um, that's all very positive, right? So it's causing this. This, uh, uh, what I think is just another bear market kind of bounce, um, which if you draw it to the trend line, would not be surprising to see us take it back to the S&P like 4,000, 4,000. I think Mike Wilson yesterday from Morgan Stanley thinks it goes to 4,100 before, before it finds resistance. Um, but one way or the other, that's what I think it is, right? We've got a lot in front of us in terms of the Fed, the election, uh, ongoing entrenched inflation, what that means for the December rate hike or not. Is it 50? Is it 75 now? Is he even going to pull back? I mean, the rumor yesterday, which I thought was ridiculous, was that, you know, the Bidens are going to put pressure on J.J. to go to go slower in November, which would be a disaster, in my opinion. If J.J. pivots and doesn't move by 75 in November, I think that's actually a huge negative because it will be seen as purely political. It will be seen as not helping the inflation story. And then I think, you know, investors, you know, investors punish, uh, punish that decision and take the market lower. Well, I, I, I mean, clearly the, the powers to be want the market up for the election. I mean, I don't know if there's any... Correct. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But I, I mean, would you say these kinds of moves are healthy? No, well, I, I don't think they're healthy, but I'm not necessarily surprised they are exaggerated moves. But look, there's been a lot of damage done to the market, right? Um, there's been a lot of damage done by, just because of the ongoing uh, inflation data and how it seems to be more and more entrenched, how it's not responding to what the Fed's doing. This is a complete contrast to 
you know, last year when they told had it all under control, nothing to worry about. Now it's clear that it's not under control. It is something to worry about. It's not responding, and so the market is thrashing around, right, as it tries to find some real valuation and some stability and, and it's trying to understand, you know, what the, what's it really look like six months out? Are we going to go into this much deeper recession than we originally were told or not told at all, right? There's some people that are even denying that it's even here. I think it's here. You know that. Um, but whether or not you want to admit it's here or whether it's coming in 2023, it's now going to be about, you know, how deep is the Fed going to have to force it in order to break it, to break the back of inflation. And the fear is that, you know, naturally, the pendulum will swing too far to the right and they'll force it too low and they'll break inflation, but they'll also break the economy, um, um, which I think they have to do, maybe not as Paul Volcker style. Um, but look, if it doesn't continue, to, if, if inflation does not respond at all, DCE's next week, right, the 28th. Then we have CPI CPI again in November, which is probably going to show an increase based on what energy has done just this month alone, up 25% uh, since the beginning of October. Um, I know it's had a little bit of a recent pullback, 5 or 6%, but it's still elevated, and that number is going to be reflected next month in the CPI. So I, I think we're still in a very kind of tenuous time. Well, I, I, I think we are as well, but and for a lot of reasons that are really kind of messed up. There was some guy, I don't know why they gave him so much time in the air yesterday, but they did, and CNBC... You know, some young guy who, who knew it all, right, right Kenny? Uh, you and I are convinced we don't know it all, so it's a little, a little bit different. I mean, uh, but this guy was convinced he did know it all. And the weird part of it was, he was talking about inflation and this and that, and how this is the, the market's going here and going there because it's kind of all behind us, and, and there, there is no inflation and uh, right now. And You know, the weird part of it is, he, I think the guy is actually, actually correct, but his, but his conclusions were essentially his own conclusions. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, but I, right now I, I don't think there is any inflation, but, but and I think what's happening is that the CPI number, somehow or another, why, why, do we, why does the world hold this, these people gospel? I mean, that thing is going to be spitting out uh, increases in home prices for the next yep. year and a half, even though yep. everybody knows they've stopped going up. Because yep. the, 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 the system is horrible. But, so why do our people essentially govern by those numbers? But here's, here's the thing, though. This, this guy essentially wants everybody to, to realize now there is no... Say I'm right. Say he's right. And actually the drivers do inflation, and, and Siegel's on the same page with money supply has, hasn't gone up in five months. So there is no driver to inflation at this point. Uh, but the fact is... What do you do with the wealth bubble that, or the, the inflation bubble that you created that now is working its way through the system? Even, even, if, even if, if, if you agreed with me and declare there really is no inflation today, you still have a 35% in price level increase over the last two and a half years that 90% of your population can't deal with. So I don't know what... Correct. I mean, that's, that to me is a totally different problem than the 70s and 80s. I mean, it would be easy for me going through that, and you too, oh, we got to do everything the same way. No, you don't. It's, it's totally different this time. They, they did it all in two years and just never counted it, and now it's working its way through. But now you're, you're set with how exactly our GM, and I mean, I guess if you charge enough and you're enough of a cartel, you can do it. How exactly are you going to make money selling cars when 70% of your population now will never be able to afford a new car, the price they are? Wait. Well, but you're not going to be able to do that, right? So that's going to have to force the price of the car lower. Otherwise, they're not going to sell. 
and they're going to have to figure out a way to bring the price down so that the population can buy the car. I mean, look, an $80,000 electric vehicle ain't going to help you if you can't afford to buy it, right? And even regular cars, a regular gas-powered car now is approaching sixty grand, yeah. and that's not even for anything fancy. But so how is people going to afford it if um, inflation... You know whether or not you want to, whether or not we agree or not, is running at eight and a half percent, and and wages are only gaining at five percent. You're buying, the, you're three percent behind the eight ball every month, right? I think you and I agree totally on the price level. What we're yeah. disagreeing on is 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 when the government is going to work it, work it through their numbers. I think that they they should just t- next month they should just say, look at here's the CPI where it ought to be today. Re, re, restate all the figures, and then from there forward, start over. Yeah, okay, that's fine. But I'm not sure how the how will the market respond to that, right? Well, I mean, but that would be a drastic change. How how would the market respond to the truth? I I don't know. <laughs> well, I think the market I think the market would reprice. If that was the way, that's fine. You want to do it that way, then I think the market has to reprice. If now we're going to start from zero again, I think the market would be overpriced. I'm not talking about starting from zero. I'm saying th- this. When you have a year that that uh, your case shiller has your home prices up twenty one percent, and your mortgage rates are up forty percent, yeah, you 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 can't have that creeping through the numbers for the next five years. What does that What does that accomplish? It should happen in the year it happened, and it didn't. Agreed. Yeah, no, agreed. It should, right? But they look at it at a twelve month basis. It's not it's not almost five years. It's a rolling twelve months, so it will eventually. Start to come down, right? I mean, no, weakness in housing prices start about two months ago, really, where they stopped going up and they started to kind of level up. Now they're actually coming in, and, and parts of the country are seeing even dramatic moves lower. Yeah, than the the last sure. two months ago, Kenny, if you if you looked at the year over year housing number, the, the owner's equivalent rent, it was up yep. it was up like uh, I don't even think it was six percent, and it should have been, you know, thirty. Well, now last month it came in at 0.8 percent. So now it's starting to creep up. So obviously, 0.8 times 12 is a hell of a lot more than six. So they're going to have housing prices up way more starting last month in the next 12 months than they did the last 12 months. That's totally inaccurate. It's totally inaccurate. Well, it might be somewhat inaccurate. Although I'm not sure I completely agree with your analysis on that, right? Because um, it's clear that to a lot of people out there, housing prices are in fact coming in. And that is clear. Yes. You can see it kind of around. Whether the CPI reflects that or not is going to be interesting. But the PCE, which is the Fed's favored inflation gauge, I think will be much more, uh, in this case, will start to become more relevant in terms of the analysis. How, how, can it, how, can, how can something be relevant when you and I can't even figure out what's in it? <laughs> well, I guess that's true. Someone's going to have to explain. You're right. I, I, you're right. How can you figure it out when, when you when you don't even know what's in it or how they or how they figure it out? So it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting, but um, I, I do think it's gonna continue to drive the sentiment uh, and the psyche in the market, right? Until until people see a real change in that number, until they start to see it really come down, uh, there's not gonna be I I don't think there's gonna be any uh, uh, sense and sensibility to the market. We're gonna have these these swings up and these swings down uh, the way we've been seeing over the last couple of months. Well, I just have, uh, as you know, we've talked about a, a bunch of different subjects in, in our years together, but and and I think we feel pretty good. We somewhere I think the next couple of times let's try and 
kind of tie those together because when you've got you've let you know what three beverage makers exist in the world and Pepsi says don't worry I was able to raise enough prices to to make myself whole I'm not so sure that's good for you and me and if we're down for we're down to four banks and they say despite the fact that the Fed's paying four percent we're still paying 0.5 percent on savings accounts and charging you 17 or 25 or 30 on your credit cards that I, I mean when you say the bank earnings are okay I'm at a point, Kenny, where if I if I see bank earnings are okay, I feel I'm getting screwed somewhere. I mean, well, th- I agree. Th- there's no competition no, I, anywhere. I mean, in this stuff. Yeah, no, I agree. That's why I want to look at the I want to look at the Goldman's earnings today. But yeah, there is some. There is going to be. There's going to be a, a reckoning, right? There has to be a reckoning because that can't go on. They can't be paying you a half a percent and charging you seventeen percent without some without something breaking, right? Well, it's been, um, it's been twenty years. It's been twelve years. Well, right. It's, <laughs> it has been twelve years. It I has mean, been twelve I, I think they're pretty good. They, they they remind me of the of the Chinese government. No matter no matter where the economy goes, they still stay in charge. <laughs> <laughs> what do you make of? I mean, I, I mean, we've got this. I mean, like the, you know, the, we've got you know. I'm gonna lob this one in from left field. I mean, we've got four baby food manufacturers, and and they get fifty percent of their money from the government. I I think those. Four people can raise prices all they need to to stay ahead of the game. So if they right. have to raise them 20, 30, I don't think they're raising them 30, but they'll stay ahead of the game. And it, I don't know that you can continually do that to your, your quote, your population. Somewhere, these two have to have to come together. And I, I thought it happened by now, but it hasn't, to me anyway. Well, right, but I think it's, I do, I do believe it is going to start to happen. I do believe that the rate increases that we've seen are going to start to really uh, uh, appear in the numbers. I don't think it's going to happen until the new year, but I do think that it is going to start to happen. Now, maybe I'm being optimistic about that, uh, because I was always concerned that it was going to get out of control, which it appears to have gotten, but I do think uh, that it's going to start to work its way through the system, and then you're going to see that that's not going to be possible, right? They're not going to continue to be able to raise prices uh, and protect their margins. It's just not. Um, I, in, any, in the areas that are competitive, I agree with you, but name 10 of those. If you can, I mean, it's uh, it's hard yeah. to do. Anyway, yeah, can you, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, Florida, I mean, the uh, area looks like it's building back pretty fast. The response has been pretty dramatic. We got a couple guys in the show that places down there. And they say people are already remodeling and doing this, and evidently we're, uh, yeah. you know, won't be long. Did you uh, go over and, and snatch one of those uh, fifty foot sailboat sailboats with no. a little bump on the bottom, and you're fixing the hull or what? No. <laughs> I haven't been over the West Coast of Florida ever since that happened, so I don't know. But yes, I see the news too, and I see that they're starting to make progress. You actually, do you still have Dan on on Thursday? Yeah, he's right. He's right in the did middle he, of it. Did he get whacked? His house. He said when he put it up, he made sure it was pretty much uh, hurricane proof, yeah. and uh, they. He said they they did pretty well, and then luckily nobody else's roof like flew off and and piled on his or anything like that. He didn't have right. a boat in his yard or anything, so he was reasonably happy. Uh, that his place survived pretty well. Yeah, because he, he was right there. He was right in, uh, I think he was right, you know, in, in the path. Yeah, I can't get over the water. I don't think he's right on the water either. I think he's off the off the water a little bit. Yeah, I don't think he ended up with a you know a sailboat lying on his roof or anything like that. No. You know? Well, I tell you what, one of my buddies that I see on uh, Wednesday night, one of my uh, my, my judge group, uh, the uh, one of the guys took his two cars 35 miles inland, Put them in some yeah. storage area. They got flooded there. He's not happy. That's what I heard. 
Now, yeah. don't forget, that from Florida, really, for the most part, you know, we're all at sea level, and there's no mountains, there's no hills, there's nothing, it's all very flat, so when I did hear that on that side, that when the water came in, it just kept coming in and coming in and coming in. Yeah, I mean, I saw roads like, 10 miles inland, they had like three feet of water on them. Yeah, yeah, they had nothing to stop it. Yeah, so you guys need like a little mountain range right on the coast down there or something. <laughs> yeah, we need that. Maybe we should build it up. We got a dash. Did you hear the story about the guy who found the alligator and opened his fridge and was eating the stuff out of the fridge? No. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, but I did see a couple of stories of alligators just popped up on the streets and stuff, but I did not hear that one. Oh, yeah, man. I think people are running over them. I mean, it's, uh, that's not good. They're big enough to give you a kind of bump, not to mention what you do to the poor alligator. Anyhow, <laughs> we'll talk next week, but SP Futures up 69, NASDAQ Futures up 231. Be right back, Professor Hal Snarr. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification, or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Hello, North Bank Station Jacks. I'm Tomorrow Andrew on the board. SP Feeders up, let's call it 70, 69.75. NASDAQ Feeders up 232. We're trying to get two huge rally days in a row here. So far, we're doing it. Uh, do we have the professor? I'm here. What's up, man? How are you? Good morning. 
I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So, so you're you're long the market the last two days. You got fifty spoo in your back pocket, and you're uh, happy as a clam. Uh, we went to the uh, Army base uh, grocery store, the commissary, and bought five hundred dollars of groceries. <laughs> how, how do you how do you get on the Army base? Are you can you still do that if you uh, I have uh, veterans uh, benefits, so so any, any veteran any, any veteran can yeah. go on a, go on the. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, if you if you're a veteran. I was on a I was on a nuclear power plant in the Navy, and um, all my uh, buddies that were, you know, standing watch for um, twelve hours a day in this engineering space with these high uh, speed turbines producing electricity have uh, hearing issues. Um, so it's hard for me to hear sometimes because my tinnitus gets so loud. Oh, okay. It sounds like a, a turbine in my ear that uh, the Navy's. Uh, uh, compensating it has something to do with the 3m um the 3m earplugs that um is right. issuing to gis and there's this big massive uh, lawsuit so right now there's a buzzing in my ears it's really loud and sometimes i can't hear very well um and so uh, when i'm on the radio with my headphones i had to turn up on maximum volume to be able to hear you over that buzzing sound yeah, so yeah. if you're a veteran out there and uh, you have some hearing loss. I think all you have to have is like five or ten percent uh, disability in a hearing loss claim, and you can use all base facilities. So any veterans out there, and the commissary in uh, Brooklyn at the Fort Hamilton base is awesome. Really, that cost. You know, I think each item that we put in the cart probably is three dollars to four dollars cheaper than it would be at the neighborhood grocery store. So if you're a veteran out there and you got Five percent, ten percent disability with the VA. Check it out, man. You, you got to use it. In Utah, was it? It didn't make sense to go to the, Air, the Hill Air Force Base commissary because the prices were about the same. Maybe a little bit of a discount. You, we had to drive like forty miles, so it wasn't oh. worth it. So, uh, can you get booze? Can you get uh, edibles? Marijuana edibles? Uh, you know, I haven't checked for that stuff. I'm no longer in my 20s. Maybe in my 20s, I would have checked that stuff out. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm sure you I'm checked out. I'm not in the market for that kind of stuff anymore, Tom. Well, I'm sure you checked out the beer and the booze. <laughs> Honestly, when you're uh, with your kids at a grocery store, you're more worried about taking things out there, sneaking in. Yes, I, I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with the triplets. They put all three winging them in and only one, is, one of you is winging them out. Oh, yeah. Well, when we uh, when we paid, I'm like, wait a minute, I didn't put that in there. We got blueberry, we got uh, Count Chocula. Somehow they got Count Chocula and three packs of Oreos in that cart without me knowing about it. Well, well there's a lot of adults that eat Oreos. It's not like the only the kids eat. Well, them. I know, but you know, I, I'm in my fifties, so <laughs> I'm, I'm like Adam Sandler in uh, Big Daddy. He has a chocolate milkshake and his butt jiggles for a week, right? Oh, I can't do that anymore. Oh, God. Well, it's a... Uh... <laughs> so what, what do you make of the rallies in and out? And now these, these rallies, now we, we're trying to tell the whole world that everything is sort of okay. And I was talking to Kenny and, and Joel. I just, I, uh, obviously, you know, we're, we're, we're long for people. We had a huge day yesterday. We're probably a little little too high today. We're going to be scrambling to get some calls up here, which is always a pain in the behind. But uh, you don't need this two days. I mean... Really, 4% in two days, it's really hard to manage a portfolio where you're expecting that if you're doing any kind of protection or or whatever. I mean, all of a sudden your puts are $20 out of the money and you roll. You know, it's just, 
it's it's way more maintenance than than than, than basically you signed up for. Uh, so well, far, I think so because I read about something called a negative delta squeeze, and I thought it was a baseball term until I realized it was not. I'm trying to figure out what a negative delta squeeze is. I kind of know what a delta squeeze is, but a negative delta squeeze. Well, what 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 delta is? It's the first. It's the first derivative of the option curve. So yeah, it, you, one you go on long and short at the same time, right? No, it would, the the, the oh. definition of it is if a stock. I'll pick a stock here. Let's let's pick. Uh, well, we back in the day when we used to worry about it. Let's pick IBM. It's trading one twenty three. All right, it's up buck forty eight in the pre market. So if you have if you have the uh, if you own the one twenty three options, either to call or to put. Now again, depending on the interest rate, there's they're not the same. Oh, I'm going to get too technical here. If it's a future, they're going to have the same delta. They'll both be fifty delta. Now if they're if they're a, a, an option a, a stack option, uh, they're not going to be the same because the interest rate plays a part. So the call is going to have a little more delta in the put. But basically, if the stack moves from it's supposed to be the first tick, but let's make it easy. If it goes from one four one twenty three to one twenty four, the one twenty three calls, they're not going to move a whole buck like the stack. You know what? What are they yeah. going? What are they going to move? Well, if you're right at the strike, let's pretend it's a future. It's going to move fifty cents. Okay. So now, but now that it's one twenty four, and the strike's one twenty three, another dollar means that the that option's probably going to move sixty sixty cents. And on and on. So finally, if if it's forty dollars in the money, if the stock moves a dollar, the, the option's going to move a dollar, and then it's going to be a hundred delta option. So the, the problem comes if if you have a position where, say, you're long. You know, if if you want to be neutral, okay, you're going to be if you have a thousand shares of IBM at one twenty three, you're going to want to be short twenty of these calls to give yourself a neutral position. But the neutral only 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 uh, holds true. For a little while, because obviously when you get to 128 or 130, now the delta on that option is going to be 75. So now, for every, so now you're you're 100 delta in the stock, but now you're 150 delta short in the in the uh, option. So your negative deltas are higher than your positive deltas. Okay. So on the, as as it goes up, you either have to buy more stock or buy in some of the options to stay neutral, or you can roll the bones and say yeah. it's just coming back down again, but. That's 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 essentially what what we're doing is is now. T- yeah. I mean, if if the stack say we were going to do a protected program, which we do for everybody, and the and, and we can use IBM. We don't usually we use indexes, okay? Because I don't like individual stacks as much. But say we would buy the you know the one twenty two puts, all right, as protection. The stack's trading one twenty three, and we sell the one twenty seven calls. Well, we're going to probably be thirty five deltas long. Okay, so which is kind of where we want it for our clients, because they want to be a little long, but they want to be protected. But now that if it runs to 130 today, all of a sudden we're going, what the bleep? Somehow we got to get these 127s up, up and out a month, or something, and the 129s. We don't want to just buy them in, and hopefully the thing will stop here. So we're, we're, we we essentially today are in a negative, chasing negative deltas. Right now we're doing that, but we're not in any kind of ratio though. But still. We, we don't want to be neutral or short. We want to be a little long. So to maintain that, we're going to have to roll these options up and out, which is which is what we do. That's what we're really good at. However, 
we shouldn't have to do it once or twice a day. It should be once or twice a month, you know. But but literally, we've done it. We, we, we've done it twice a day in the last week, a couple times. Oh man! Last Thursday, we had probably our 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 best. I won't say our most profitable day ever, but our our best day ever is as managers. And only only if you know what we're doing and how difficult it is, would you even know what the hell we did. But when, when the market yeah. opened uh, opened down huge right after the CPI number came out, my two guys uh, managed the different places. Both of them sprung into action, and we rolled the puts down because we had puts now. We were deep in the money. We rolled them down. So we caught almost all the stuff coming back. At the end of the day, we rolled our puts back up again. So, we, we, I mean, that happens, you know, three times a decade, for God's sake. But we were on it. But now... I mean, would a, would a client? No, no. We had a we had a really good day. Maybe his account made ten grand. I mean, he, he doesn't know that we made him an extra two. He just knows he had a good day. He has no idea what, really what we did. You know, well, he might see the role. He might he might maybe he'll call up and say, "Boy, this, this looks interesting. What exactly did you do?" You know, but that's what you do. But nobody really knows, you know, that that's what you did and why. I mean, that's why. I mean, uh, you know, to all the people out there who think they can do all this themselves. You know, good luck to you. I mean, I. I gotta, how, how well do you think you can program an AI to do that? Yeah, not a, not a chance. Not a chance. Yeah, because I, I tell people all the time that in my classes that you know um, humans humans are infinitely diverse, and a lot of these algorithms kind of want to force. They kind of kind of force the standardization. You, you strip out that when you use AIs like that. I don't think an AI can be creative. And you know, people, when I tell people I'm creative with uh, the way the things that I design in terms of assessments that are based on algorithms, I get pretty creative because I come into I, I I get to this point where I'm like, all right, how can I do this, right? And I get pretty creative, and it's kind of hard to think about somebody a human getting creative with quantitative modeling. And I, I don't think an AI is ever going to be human in that regard. It, it's always going to be a copy of, I think it's always going to be a copy of human decision making. Which, I don't think which, they're ever going to be really, truly creative like a, like what you guys were doing last Thursday, right? Well, you can... You can I, I just don't see it. I think if you were going to be a, a huge trader, I mean, when I, when I was in the OEX, I was never massive size or anything like that, but I, was, uh, I could do a lot of volume. And I stood next to a broker, and my, and my my shtick was, I wanted everything the broker had. You know, he was a put he was a put broker, because uh, we had so many calls and puts. You had different people. Uh, I wanted everything he had. I wanted I wanted a piece of everything that came out of his hand. Maybe not every everything, but I would vary my size whether how good I thought it was or not. And and the uh, and, and the whole the whole trick is to constantly you know how bad is it what I just did? Because you never unlike a retail person, and I'm not given grief to my retail people because they're good people but when when they say you know we're, we're going to buy IBM okay that's fine and, and maybe maybe my retail people actually better feel for certain stocks than I do I think they do because I don't really have that good a one for individual stocks I have a little bit for the market because I traded the OEX forever but I won't say I would I would live on my feel <laughs> I would never think of that after after trading every day on the floor the idea that you, th- you know where it's going up or down you better get that out of your system quick um, yeah but the idea of, of uh, if I was going to do, I mean, I, my my best day, I, my I don't know my best day, but I probably did 
250 trades where I had to write down every one. Maybe 275, something like that. And I was, that was all I could do. Now, and, uh, you know, because every time you do a trade, if you do too many, it goes against you. you got to buy something else, sell something, or maybe go to the book. Or if you had to, you went and did a spook, uh, a future. But the uh, if if I was to put together uh, uh, some kind of, if I was going to have a, a, a DPM specialist, some kind of thing where I'm going to trade IBM, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take all comers, where I might get, you know, 25 trades a minute, there's no way I can do that. So... But what, but I but I can take the simple ones. I would say okay, uh, if you buy a five lot of calls here and they're, they're fifty delta, if you don't once that once your imbalance gets to two thousand delta or four thousand whatever whatever big my account is, once I get to that, I'm going to my my thing is automatically going to buy or sell a thousand or two thousand shares of stock to keep me even. That that kind of a of an API is absolutely necessary. But you still have to have somebody sort of watching it. If all of a sudden, uh, say people are buying I- IBM, say say people are buying uh, what did I say it's 123. Say say somebody comes in and starts buying a 130, 135, 140 calls out a few months, and there's not much delta to them. So the thing is not it's not doing anything. Plus, do I really want to buy 20,000 shares of stock to cover a, nine, a 135 call? Somewhere in there, someplace, somebody has to look at it and say, wait a minute. We, have, we don't have a delta problem. We have a unit problem. We're short too many calls. We're short too many. But there's a lot of stuff that can happen. I'm sure as time goes by, you're going to have alerts and warnings on the system where the minute I get short too many units or long too many units, it's going to let me know where I'll change my implied volatility on my model. So now, instead of being you know, two bid at two and an eighth, I'm going to be two and a quarter bid at two and three eighths. Because the whole... The whole purpose of, of a market maker, it's really simple. I mean, you and I, we could get three or four other people, especially here at PTI because everybody was on the floor, but uh, we, could, we could make a market in, in desk chairs tomorrow. We need a standard desk chair. We close all the doors, and then we'll go back in, in time. We need three or four phones, and how do we make a market? You and I don't know anything about desk chairs. I'm going to say, gee, we'll, we'll be 100 bid at <clears throat> 125. Well, the phone starts ringing, and the first 10 people are buyers, we know we're too too low. All of a sudden, we're going to be 110 at 135. We might end up at, you know, 200 at 210. But the whole the whole goal of a market maker is to have the thing priced in such a way where half the people are buying and half the people are selling. At the end of the day, you don't have a position. Yeah. I mean, it's, and I, I mean, that's a totally different business than what a retail person does. So when you ask me to manage something for somebody in, in an option mode, I mean, uh, actually, we might have this big new client knock on wood coming in that has gazillion shares of one stock. Now, managing a single stock portfolio in options is very, very difficult, especially if it's a dividend stock, and especially if it likes the trend. Uh, we have a real lot of UPS shares. This stock is not UPS, but very similar to that. Stock wants to run up and down five days in a row, run down five days in a row, but it never moves too much in any given day and pays a dividend, which means the volatility is always kind of low, and yet you got to be real careful. Now, you, But you and th- these people, if they come with us, are coming from a group that had an automatic, they just, it was a machine that did it. Well, guess what? They got clobbered because the stock ran up and yeah. they, they didn't know enough to get out of the way of the thing. Now, obviously, if you have a stock in the next morning, it's up 20%, nobody can get out of the way of it. But m- most of the time, usually, that's a very slippery word, you got to at least keep on it. Okay, do, do I really have to be just 
covered calls or can I do some kind of repair strategy or one by two or can I go out a month and buy a, a, a November call and sell two October calls on some sort of a diagonal? Can I give myself some room to the upside because this thing looks like it might want to move a little bit? There's all kinds of things you can do that a machine isn't going to. Yet, if you're going to be a big-time player, if you don't have a really serious machine backup with you, you can't play. I mean, if you got to make yeah. those... I mean, the OEX, there were 350 people there. <laughs> That's why you had 350 yeah, people, I, you know, because every every individual couldn't do all that. Yeah. Well, it sounds like the AI is really... Imagine an AI as just a human. And the AI is the sharpest uh, slide rule operator on the planet. Yeah. And, I mean, that's what basically it is. It was basically just a really sharp, quantitative guy who doesn't have any kids, who doesn't have a mortgage, who's never going to feel hungry. So it's never going to be human. And it's never going to be creative like a human right. who's ha- who has decisions to make, think you're decisions to make about kids and future and driving to work today. Am I going to text or not while I'm driving? Humans making those sink or swim decisions every day. They got kids, they got wife, they got worries. And that, that AI is just that guy with the really thick glasses and can run uh, quantitative analyses nonstop in his head all day long without burning out. That's what the AI is, and that's why I don't think well, you're, uh, it'll ever take over. It's very similar, Hal. I mean, and you know this better than me. It's very similar to economics, and that's why you and yeah. I are fascinated by it. If you see somebody on, you know, this is not a personal shot. If you see, if you see some buffoon saying, uh, well, gee, every, everybody's buying, economy looks great. Well, you and I know that be, between the time the guy started his, his outpeep and, and he stopped, there's a there's a billion economic decisions being made this across this country. Yeah. By all kinds of people, you know. Oh my God, this 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 particular uh, cereal is on sale. I'll buy it versus the other one. Yeah, it's on sale, but what's the difference? The other one's only fifty percent more. I won't. I mean, it, there's. There, I'm going to buy. I'm going to get in the car instead of driving my suburban. You know, if I if I if I had a wife and she had some piddly ass little thing, and I'm just going to the store. Hey, I'll, I'll hop in that one and I'll save three teaspoons full of gas on the way to the store today, even though I can't fit in the damn thing. I mean, it's, you know, those, those decisions are being made all over the place. It's not yeah. one one or the other. So it's, it's the same way about trade. You know, you know what trading is, well, I hate the hell I say this. You know what being a market maker really is and when you hedge and when you don't? It's very similar to being a bookie in a local bar. I think so, yeah. I think, and those guys are some of the sharpest cookies yeah. on the planet. But it's the same thing. And they only get people to buy in because they have a certain level of trust. They, they exude a trust uh, camaraderie. I think my brother Rock could run one of those games. My, uh, my uh, wife's grandfather ran a game on Flatbush. My mother-in-law was telling me about how he used to stand out there on Flatbush and run these games with uh, people from Haiti that were in the United States, living in, in the United States. And, and those guys are some of the smartest guys you'll ever run into. Well, you're gonna if you were that saloon keeper, and all of a sudden, and I suppose I did this for a living, which I don't. And all of a sudden, I I'm going to the Bermuda for the weekend. I want a free trip or something. And my buddy Hal says, "I'll run it for you for the weekend." First thing I'm going to say is, "This is exactly like your your AI." It's I'm going to I'm going to say, "Okay, Hal, look, bears are playing the lions, all right? And here's here's the line, oh, and, uh, and you're not hopefully." 
We'll get fifty grand bet. Fifty grand is a lot for a saloon. Uh, fifty grand bet on the Lions and fifty grand bet on the Bears, and we don't have to worry about it. Now, of course, a few people probably won't pay because uh, they don't make you pay in advance. In some of the saloons, you have a, you're on you're on the cuff. But so, we don't we don't care. But if I'm gonna say, okay, Hal, if if all of a sudden all the money's coming in on the Bears, look to see if you can change the line, the price, right? The same as changing the yeah. the option price for every. Look to see if you can change the line. But I'm not I'm not mega bucks chief. As soon as we get five thousand dollars, one way or the other, call my buddy up in Vegas and have him go lay it down at the whatever at Caesars. So we're only we're only going to take a five grand imbalance or a two grand imbalance. I'm only going to be five thousand deltas one way or the other. Same damn thing. Now you go you go lay it off on somebody else. So it's it's yeah. a, it, it, it's endemic through a lot of things we do, but a lot of people don't understand that. You know, hey, what are you talking about? My stock is going up. I bought it. Why well, it's not exactly what. The uh, Duke and Duke were saying yeah. to uh, Eddie Murphy yeah. in Trading Places. <laughs> yeah, but then they all they but that's then such they, a good movie, man. That's oh, such yeah. a good movie. But then they went from we always get our commission and we don't make a trade to we've got the numbers we're making the trade. It's a di- all of a sudden because right yeah. now I mean if you're if you're a saloon keeper and, and a ten thousand dollar more bet on the Bears than the Lions and you say I'll just take it, you're not you're not a bookie anymore. You're you're a better. Yeah. Because I'm, what am I doing in here? If I'm getting, am I getting ten percent vig? What am I doing with a ten thousand dollar bet that's going to take away my next two weekends if I lose? What, what's that all about? Yeah. I mean, it's the same way as a trader. I mean, if if you came off the floor with a position that wasn't hedged, all of a sudden you're not a trader, you're an investor, which is not what you want to be. I mean, if you came off the floor, you're always going to have some stuff. I mean, somebody's buying November. Well, that was selling. the Duke and Duke's downfall, right? Yeah, they well, thought yeah. they uh, cornered the market on that. They got that insider information from the or thought, the yeah, guy they, from the, the yeah. agriculture department, right? Yeah, so they, were, they, they, they yeah. didn't know it was flopped out, so they became instead of being a bookie, they, they were an investor, and yeah. they got the wrong information. They got clobbered. Yeah, and they ended up homeless and coming to America. Yeah, and I never saw that one. I should I should see that. But <laughs> <laughs> well, the one guy, the one he every time there was a, a movie of World War II, didn't the one guy play Roosevelt like how many times? Was it Walt Bellamy? He played him yeah, in the Yeah, I think he did, yeah. God, he was I a think the best Roosevelt was uh, Bill Murray. Didn't he play Bill, Bill Murray play uh, Roosevelt? I thought he did a great job. I don't know, but I thought Bellamy was great in the Winds of War. And Roots of, uh, was it Winds of War? Well, both those guys are great actors. Yeah. The, the guys that played Duke and Duke, yeah, both those guys are great. Was, what was the other guy's name? Uh, the guy with the mustache. What the hell was he? They're, they both, they're both dead. Uh, oh yeah, both those guys ended up being homeless in the uh, coming to America movie. Well, they lost so much and, money. And Eddie Murphy's it. character gave him some cash, and they they yell, "We're back in it!" We're back <laughs> in it. <laughs> well, yeah. All of a sudden, you you blow out of your trading account, and somebody floats you again. You're back in the pit, in the pit the next day, right? I mean, it's <laughs> that, it was such a good those two movies together. When you watch them, are so good because they just hit it on the ballpark with respect to you know just business with. Uh, you know, McDowell's copying McDonald's and coming to American. The uh, yeah. going long and the going short uh, oranges uh, on insider information. It was just really good stuff. And I always show clips of those movies in my business classes because they're just so good. SP Futures up 77. NASDAQ Futures up 254. We're trying to duplicate yesterday. Maybe we will. We keep creeping. I don't see a seller anyway. Be right back. Stacks and Jacks.
How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know, all while exploring how to live your best life through music, spirits, food, sports, travel, fitness, and a whole lot more. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures. It's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into Wall Street's investment gurus. It's for mavericks who believe in life, luxury, and the pursuit of happiness. It's for you. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howard, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and try to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification, or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks and, jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here. Right now. Right here. Right now. Right now. Well, we're back Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Allen. Andrew on the board. SP Futures now of 80. And as if you have 262, we're going up maybe a point every couple of minutes. No, there's not a seller anywhere. We, we've decided we're, we're to the moon again, Alice, and this... Uh, this is just crazy stuff. We're going to be 5% in two days. That's uh, that's uh, without any real good news. I mean, not really bad news either. It's just uh, we start one way, everybody gets out of the way, and away we go. Over in Europe, we've got the DAX now up 232, 1.8%. Puts you up 92, 1.3%. Cac around up 87, 1.4%. This is where every single person over there, fund and, and bank, has a whole boatload of bonds we're, aren't worth anything. We're not worried about that today. Nikkei up 380, 1.4%. Shanghai actually was down four points. Call that flat. Hang Seng, though, with a big rally up uh, 301. We're trying to get back 16,914, trying to get back to the 17,000 number. Maybe they will tomorrow. 
yesterday. Dow was up 550, which is, you know, close to where it is now. S&P up 94. We're not quite there yet, but we could be by the end of the show. NASDAQ up 354. That was 3.4%. Uh, everything, all of a sudden, all these companies are great again. Uh, bonds, 10-year, uh, minus 4 basis points, 3.97. We were over 4. Uh, Bund, minus 2 basis points, 2.25. Japan, uh, up 1 to 2.25. We've got oil, up 23 cents, 85.69. Brent, up 46 cents, 92.08. Natural gas unchanged at $6 exactly. Arbob unchanged at 259. Gold, uh, down 270, 16.61. Not participating in this rally. Silver up six cents, eighteen seventy-eight. Copper down two cents, three thirty-nine. We've got Bitcoin up seventy-nine bucks now, nineteen thousand six oh seven. Not really participating either. Uh, the dollar is actually down a little bit. Well, no, it's it's, uh, it's unchanged against the euro and and uh, it's down a little bit against the pound, but very little bit. It's still one thirteen. Andrew, what do you got for us, Trevi? Weather sports. All right, it is seven thirty-five here in Chicago on Tuesday, October eighteenth. Uh, for sports, last night and Thursday night football. The Chargers came out on top over the Broncos, 19-16. And last night in MLB, a game was postponed between the Guardians and the Yankees, so you can catch it today over at 3.07 p.m. Now for Chicago weather, it is cloudy, 34 degrees, reaching up to 48 with a low of 34. And over in Phoenix, we're at 67 degrees with a high of 85 and a low of 67. Now for Chicago traffic, uh, we have plenty of it today. Uh, we have traffic on the inbound Eisenhower and Stevenson reaching into downtown, and the inbound Jane Adams and Kennedy are very heavy with traffic reaching all the way to downtown. Now over on Lakeshore Drive, on both sides, north and south, uh, construction right near Jackson Drive is causing the left lanes on both sides of the road to be closed, so expect heavy delays for up to 20 minutes if you're going down that way. But that's all I got. Back to you, Chief. The, uh, Hell, I got a, I got an axe uh, as I was waiting for that game to start last night. How how bad did it rain out there? It was like you guys had like a hundred percent chance of rain for like six hours. It was just pouring the whole time. Uh, the Yankee game. You know, the funny thing is, when I was at the commissary uh, on Saturday or Sunday with the kids and my wife and my mother-in-law, the checker was like, "We need to get this win." I go, "What win?" She goes, the "Yankee win." Oh, that's still going on. <laughs> Yeah, I got my new job, and it's a lot of. I'm, I'm the chair of the undergraduate uh, business program, and I'm so uh, used to like riding the subway and making sure the kids are doing well in school. I'm not watching any anything. I think I watched about five minutes of the uh, Broncos. I wanted to see how Russell Wilson did, so I have no idea what's going on. And to me, there wasn't any rain. I mean, I got in the subway around five. 30, and I felt no rain at all uh, jumping in the tube. When I got home, I walked home around, what, 6, 6.15? And there wasn't anything in the air in Brooklyn, so... Uh, Would it just rain right over Yankee Stadium, or what? Yeah, I, I guess it was just raining on... T- it's like that cartoon. <laughs> I guess. Where it's raining right on... Uh, the penis cartoon, right? Well, you know they were trying Where to get... Where it's raining that, on top of somebody? Well, you know they were, they were they were trying to get that game in last night, and they just had no chance. I kept looking at New York weather, well, and they kept saying... It must have came in late because um, I was working I was working on stuff for my classes until midnight last night. I think I was working from about 7 after dinner. Well, you know, I, you, you guys are having a... Rec- office from 7 to midnight. Well, your Giants are all the rage. Uh, the Giants and the Jets actually had a big game the other well, day. Well, you know, technically, there's only one team that plays in the state of New York, and that's Buffalo. So I guess I'm a Buffalo fan now. 
Well, the Yankees play in New and York. And they had a quarterback from Wyoming, man. Yeah, I mean, the Yankees play in New York. The well, Nets. I mean, NFL. Yeah. Well, yeah. the... Uh, they, they, so in, in the NFL, the, oh, the Giants, I mean, the Giants play in New Jersey. The, the Jets play in New Jersey. And both the Jets and Giants look good, man. Yeah. That they, defensive line from the Jets looks awesome. Do they still have the uh, racetrack out there, the Meadowlands? Or they get rid of that? You know, I, honestly, um, I've never been out there. My... Our university plays its games in New Jersey. Really? And if I wanted to go to the games, I'd have to ride the tunnel to, uh, like, I guess, uh, the World Trade Center and then ride the uh, Jersey to New York yeah. train to Jersey. I don't think I'm going to be going to games out there because that would probably take an hour. And if I drove, it would cost me about 50 bucks in toll. So. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to uh, drive. Yeah, you, you can't drive it. Where do, where do like, and if uh, I took my kids to the games, it would... It costs much as driving. Where, where do like uh, Columbia and NYU play? They's playing like a park or whatever. I mean, those there's there's some. Where do those guys? NYU and uh, Columbia. They're all they're all in Fordham. They must have. I think Columbia. I think Columbia has facilities on campus. You know, smaller facilities. But like you know, um, UCLA. They don't they don't play on campus. They, they play the football games at the Rose Bowl, which is yeah. Well, it's they, a they, long ways. The Rose Bowl to UCLA is really difficult to get to it's not too far but with with uh, california traffic and there's no parking at the rose bowl at all right and i think these schools in these big cities have those kinds of issues well, usc fortunately plays right next door usc's right next door to the coliseum so that's not a big deal but yeah ucla has to go from rodeo drive or as we in idaho say rodeo drive they have to go from rodeo drive all the way out to pasadena and it's it's trek my uncle was a guy that uh, repaired and installed huge printing presses, which is really, those things are amazing machines. Have you ever seen one? I did a tour with them once. And it, there was a place... The out, mechanical ones or more, more automated computer Well, they're, well they, the print and, and how you put the stuff in there is getting more and more computed, but the, the folders yeah. and actually printing the stuff out, that never changes. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, you're not going to do that electronically. I'm talking about... You know, newspapers and magazines where you got folders and slitters and the whole bit and putting them all together. Yeah, those old reels of the oh, yeah. uh, the newspapers just oh, in God, the rolls yeah. of paper. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. They still have big paper yeah. rolls. Wow. Well, the papers aren't as big and there aren't as many, you know. But yeah, there's still yeah. Haven't the newspapers gotten really skinny? Yeah, they, but, they, but they charge a lot more. They got that going for them. <laughs> it's like a box of cereal, man. But he box was uh, cereal's getting skinnier and skinnier and skinnier. Oh yeah, well he was such a, a nutcase for football, and uh, when he went out there, he would love it in the fall. Because he'd get some, I don't even know, it was a hotel, some something next to the Coliseum. And I think, what, UCLA played Friday night, USC played on Saturday, and the Rams played on Sunday, and he'd go to all three games. He was like, he was, he, he thought he died and went to heaven. He didn't, he didn't care if he did well, I don't know. I don't know how you could do that today, man. I don't know how people go to these games. It's just so expensive, man. Well, those so, days they I weren't. Mean, it's not just the ticket, it's the, the oh, yeah. concessions, the parking. It's crazy. I don't, I don't know how people do it. Well, in those days, I mean, uh, the tickets were less. The games were a lot shorter. I mean, uh, I, yeah. had, I had the, we'll talk economics here in a second, but it, no, nobody believes me on this one, Hal. I mean, I, even even some of my goofy friends at Notre Dame don't believe me. Back when uh, John McKay got booted out of Southern Cal because uh, he had all, every kind of thing. No, nobody, none of the kids even went through the uh, admissions program and all those guys, I mean, they, they had no business being in a school, but... They had a great football team. They beat Notre Dame like eight out of ten years, and uh, so all of a sudden he's out, and the school gets the the absolute like death penalty. Where they imagine today they couldn't be on national TV, they couldn't be on TV. 
So they so they come to Notre Dame for a, a game, and there was not going to be any. I think I think they might have been able to be on the local WNDU or something, but that was about it. No commercials. So I'm at the game. The first half took, I'm going to say, 55 minutes. The half, maybe maybe an hour, but it was right there. They went in. I don't even know if they went in the in the uh, tunnel for uh, halftime. I think they did. But they were bare back out in 20 minutes. The whole the whole game was two hours and like was under two and a half hours, including halftime. Well, that was the complete opposite of my experience when Washington State played at Notre Dame. I went to it in like 2003. I got four tickets and I sold two of them to two guys from Chicago. I swear I've never been at a game that took that long. It was it was a night game. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was no, it was middle of the day. It was on NBC. And they had TV commercials like every two minutes. Was it, it was crazy what, how did, long that thing took. Did Washington wear white? Washington State uh, wore white, yeah. And they missed the field goal. They were up yeah. huge, but the Pac-12 officials started calling, you know, 15-yard penalties against the Cougs. And the, the two guys I sold tickets to, they were sitting right next to me. They actually left the game at the end of the third quarter because they thought the game was over because Washington State had a big lead. But here comes the Pac-12 officials. The worst officiating crews on the planet. I mean, they messed up the USC-Utah game. They get it wrong all the time. But they're throwing these flags left and right. The Mark Darling's pointing to his dead brother in heaven, you know, because that's why he, he had transferred to Washington State because his brother had died in Florida State in a practice. Hey. He's pointing to his brother in heaven. They're flagging him for that stuff, man. It was ridiculous. The Pac-12 officials are just I think I was at that game. officials. I think I was at that game, and I think I was in the war. It went into overtime, zone. and the kicker, yeah. uh, I was in the end zone, right in between those goalposts, and that ball was headed right down the middle, and at the end, it just curved to my left. The kicker's right. And it was like, touchdown Jesus was yep. blocking that kick. They don't, they don't it call was crazy touch- how, how straight that thing was. They had a couple of guys that were standing on the sideline. This is back... You know, when when I was in school, most guys were you, you didn't we didn't have too many really heavy guys, even even the linemen. I mean, uh, when my buddy played for Michigan, when Dan Deerdorf was there, he said Dan was the only guy in the team that was allowed to be two forty because he was just a huge man. Mm. But still, your offensive line had to run hundred yard sprints. I mean, well, all of a sudden it got the oh, other yeah. way where these guys were huge. Back then. Yeah. Well, all of a sudden Washington's got these two guys. These two oh, happen to be black guys, and they had to be, but they just happened to be. And they're standing on the sidelines. I'm looking at them going. Plus, in white, they looked horrible. They were so big. And I'm going, so Audrey says, who are those two guys? And I go, I don't know. They, were, they weren't really in the game yet. She goes, how did they pass a physical? <laughs> why, would, why would anybody let those guys go out in a warm day and run a 10-yard sprint? They figure you're going you're gonna to keel over. But they were huge. Yeah, and, uh, and, and yeah Washington State, they had, the Notre Dame uh, fans were, I, I remember them talking about Washington State's tackles. and They were like six foot seven. And they had like seven foot wingspans, but when you're a pass happy offense, you want those six foot seven, seven foot wingspan guys on both sides of that quarterback, right? To to, to make that, that 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 pocket. So Washington State had these really massive, tall guys at the time. Well, these guys only they went weren't in. very athletic, but man, they had the wingspan. Well, these guys only went in on an extra point or a kick because they they got yeah. in the middle of it. Well, their their offense tackles in that game though were like six seven. Yeah, well, these six, guys weren't six. I mean, these guys were just massive. Well, they go, they go to run on the field. People. They they had to stop running at the hash mark. They couldn't run that far and walk the rest of the way. Well, <laughs> you know, most of these practices, the offensive linemen do like these eight second drills. Yeah, and they run at most like ten yards. 
Yeah. Especially in a pass, a pass happy offense. But if you're a run offense, you need a more athletic, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. a run blocker. Yeah, it's almost right? like sumo wrestling where you just you know smacking yeah. the guy in front of you. Right. Well, my my nephew Logan, he's six foot two, about two sixty five. Dude, I, that kid is well coached. Man, he comes, he he does the the pull blocking, and he's he's blocking three people in the same place. So so athletic. If he was six foot four, I think Washington State would be looking at him. But he's only six two. Well, Doctor J is buddy. Well, his buddy, his brother Pete was playing for Minnesota. We went down to Illinois to see a game. He goes, "Come on, we got to see this offensive line before they get on a bus or the first over 300-pound line anywhere, you know, even even pro. This is 1983 or 4. So yeah. you go over there and I look at these guys. I mean, you know, I'm a pretty big guy. When I used to be 6'4", I'm not anymore, but but I was in, in my best shape. I was, you know, 220. You know, the, the idea of somebody not being heavy and being 300 pounds, it's very rare. I mean, it's very yeah. rare. I mean, Walt Patulski at Notre Dame was 6'9", he was 290, and a guy like a 34-inch waist. But that's, that's an unusual – you don't see any – you can walk along the streets in Chicago all day long and not see a guy that big. I mean, a lot of these basketball – that's the C-score of uh, four. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like walking down the street and seeing – you see one of these basketball players that are, you know, they're like 6'8", they're, they're 260, and they're ripped, you know, type of thing. You know, I bumped into, I bumped into Thurl Bailey quite often in Utah. Him and I had – I think we bumped into each other like eight or nine times. Well, he had a son playing AAU ball, and I was refereeing on the weekends, so I bumped into him all the time. <laughs> oh, right. But well, that's, that's not a representative sample. No. That's a skewed bias sample. Yeah, well, anyway, so anyway, we got 12 minutes. Let's, what, what do you make of, I mean, I, I was talking to Kenny and, and Joel. I get this weird feeling the more I read, and especially since I'm digging out all these old papers that I had stashed away for six, seven years, the dramatic split in society between those people making them you know what, forty five percent of the people own what you know, or ten percent of the people own forty five or fifty percent of all the assets. I mean, when yeah. that happened in nineteen twenty nine and look what happened. I mean, we, we we're cont- yeah. we're constantly making this thing where everybody's happy, the expensive restaurants are full. And we, we, we make these generalizations and yet I see people that, that you know can't afford stuff. That are they're throwing stuff like you say out of the out of the the basket, and I see you at Myers. You can't buy more than four pounds of spaghetti at the same time because people are just running yeah, the cheap stuff. It, so it, to me, it's I see this, and now I look at all these people that spend all these money, money on these houses, and now the prices are going the other way on them, and we're just going to eviscerate their equity in the house here. I just I wonder how much further we can have this. Some firms, if it's a cartel type of place like it's Pepsi, like it's Baby Formula, these areas have this pricing power, but someplace somewhere. We, we can't get blood out of a turnip. And right now, yes, are, are customers still spending? Yeah, but you look at these credit card numbers. Hell, they're off the chart. They yeah. are. You know, I, I keep hearing people say this on CNBC or Fox Business Network. Um, people have plenty of savings. Well, if you look at total savings or if you look at average savings, it looks like a large number. But any uh, variable that is dollar-valued is heavily skewed to the rich. Yeah, and all you got, and then uh, she's really good. She, uh, Dega on Fox Business, she pushed back against this guy that said people have plenty of savings. She pushed back and said, "Well, if they, if people everyday Americans have plenty of savings, why are is credit card debt skyrocketing? It's skyrocketing because the the needs have gotten so expensive they can't buy wants, and now they're cutting back on the needs." Yeah, 
and that's why you see Europe kind of imploding. That's why you see China uh, uh, panicking, I think. That's why you see problems in Japan, because they want to stimulate their economy. They want to they uh, subsidize energy, which is, in my opinion, completely wrong. But they want to subsidize energy. They want to give people these offsets, right? And so they're, they're trying to stimulate their economies. At the same time, they have an inflation problem, and their inflation problem is probably worse than ours. And the Fed is kind of trying to solve this inflation problem. Well, yeah, I think they already have. But I don't think they have, because the, the inflation rate is still way above the federal funds rate. And the Fed is still printing money. They're just doing it in creative new ways. Like, they sent billions of dollars to the Swiss uh, National Bank, right? Like, Putting that money is not going to eventually come back to the United States. Right. I, what I, what I, it's caused a problem here. I'm having this discussion with everybody regarding this inflation, and I, as you as you know, probably more than most, is that uh, I've been an inflation hawk for 20 years, certainly since 2008, more so than anybody, right? Because I'm a money supply guy. They've act, they've cut all that out the last five months. What, what we have, I honestly believe this now, and I've said it a hundred times. We don't have an inflation problem today. We have a, a price level problem that we've created in the last three years that, the, that most of the population can't deal with. But the, the, yeah. the, the rate of change of prices is down to, I'm going to say, zero. But because our CPI calculator, Bureau of Labor Statistics, somehow or another is always a year behind, we're seeing the numbers pile through. But the, 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 the increase in housing prices happened a year ago. It's not happening today. And yet last month was the biggest bump in housing prices since I've been watching the CPI for the last three years. It, it happened three years ago. Now they're actually, if anything, they're coming down a little bit. Well, I think the problem with it is, I mean, that's the, that's the central bank problem, right? It well, prints all this money, and it, it exploded the money supply 40%, what, 18 months? That's, right? that's, that's exactly my point. a big increase in the money supply. And who gets that money first? The investor class, the, oh, sure. the elite, financial elites, right? They get that money first, and they use that money to buy Bitcoin. They use it to buy yeah. uh, stocks. They use it to buy real estate, right? So those things are the things that inflate first. But eventually, that money gets to us, and by the time it gets to us, everything that we purchase, all the needs that we have, that we need, that we need to buy, all those needs, and the wants, we can't afford them. Because those prices have adjusted upwards. Well, I, I, and that's how inflation, that's how money printing benefits the wealthy over the middle-income people. Well, that, that's what I'm saying, though, is that if you look at what they've done in the money supply, and you, and you just said it, so that's why I'm kind of surprised you're not agreeing with me. But they look what they did in the money supply. They blew it, I'll say two years, they blew it up 40%. And then yeah. six months ago, they stopped. So we have this price bubble that they created over a two-year period, and now... They're not doing it anymore, I mean, unless you know you got to count the stuff they're doing to Swiss Bank and stuff. So maybe they are doing a little bit, but now we're left with this this price level that's the problem. It's not it's not this month's increase. It's they're just too friggin' high. I mean the cars are forty seven grand. What percentage of the population can afford a car at forty seven grand ever? Or twenty percent thousand dollar electric vehicle. Yeah, I mean we can't do it. We can't do it. So I mean I I don't know how to deal with this. Well, what they did is they, they, they shoved a big chunk of printed money into the economy. Yes. And that leads to uh, the, the dollar being worthless. 
so you have to charge more, right, to uh, make a profit to stay in the game. Right. And so that, that chunk of cash is still out there. Yes, right? exactly it's my still point. still out there. Yes. And I think with the Fed's new uh, monetary policy tools, uh, it's not what, what's really the problem is bank lending. If bank lending is rising through credit cards, then we're still inflating. Because all that, all that bank lending that we're doing is a result of all these reserves being piled up in the banking system. That's exactly the right. The Fed has these reserves in the banking system, and when markets, when they can, they can get more than what four percent from the Fed from interest on reserves, they're going to lend it out. So that money will get will leak out. All that money they created that is bottled up in the banking system with interest on reserves, it will get lent out if those lending rates get high enough, and then we'll have a, a bigger problem. So the Fed's got to raise the interest on a res- interest on a rate, uh, reserves rate. It's got to keep raising that up to keep the reserves bottled up in the banking system. If it gets lent out, then we have a, a big, huge problem. But they also have this this mentality, I think they do, I mean, I is, you know, our... All these problems with the you know bank of credit suisse and these places in europe and actually uh, some people tell me that they have talked to people in europe kind of up the system and saying that banks over there are in deep trouble now whether you, can, you can't trade on information like that because if you did you'd be buying puts you'd be getting clobbered for two days so it's yeah. uh but so you, you know you got to be careful but there, there probably is some truth in some of this stuff but i, I think our, our people seem isolated i mean the the, the guys from like bank america yes i don't know why i have such a problem with the guys the chairman of that place but i do uh, he, uh, this whole idea that we're going to make sure banks have so much money, reserves, whatever you want to call it, they got so much dough that they can't possibly screw up no matter what they do. When I, when I hear a bank had a spectacular quarter, I should be reacting to that's great for America. It's good for their shareholders. It's good for shareholders aren't going to get any more money. The, and and I, I think when the banks have, when one of the four big banks has a great quarter. I feel that the rest of us are getting screwed. <laughs> I mean, is that is that being way too? Is that I mean, I shouldn't feel that way. If if Ford has a good year, it ought to mean that people did did well, had a good year, and bought a lot of cars at a reasonable price, and everybody had a good year. But I don't think it means that anymore. I mean, I, General Motors and, and Ford have decided now if they can charge fifty grand for a car, they don't care how many they sell. That that's not good for you or me. I don't think so either. No, not at all. You know, I think this is all created by government policy. What well, is? I was reading about. I was reading about the energy situation over in Europe, and apparently, like in a place like Germany, twenty-four percent of all cost in electric bill or energy bill is the supplier cost. That means there's a tax on energy that amounts to three hundred seventeen percent in Germany, and so. That, what that does is it limits the supplies. Plus, on top of that, uh, they're, they're, they're just outrighting banning like energy produced by nuclear, right? So they get this heavy reliance on natural gas, on solar. And with the war in Ukraine, natural gas is unreliable in Europe. Right. Solar and wind are unreliable. They don't produce energy at night if there's no wind blowing, right? So Europe has put themselves in this situation. With what amounts to about a three hundred seventeen percent tax on energy, and what how are they going to offset that? They're going to give some of that back in the form of a subsidy to 
the consumer. That does nothing to solve the problem. And the EU has the gall to call it a market failure. Oh, well, this is a colossal, yeah. well, that's the colossal thing. government failure. They, they, well, I mean, even here, I mean, you look at the, uh, we got a dash here in a sec, but that's one thing I'm going to fight with you about next week. Because I know you, you have the libertarian views, and by the way, I agree with you on all that stuff, uh, in terms of what the world should look like. But when it doesn't, it's, it's, like, it's like, you know, some buffoon on TV, and I won't, maybe, they'll say, well, you got to let the free market work out in, in like, baby formula. Yeah, wait a minute. It, it, it's so far away. It's so far away from the free market, or, or you, you I know. know. <laughs> you know, you know I mean, <laughs> we have all these government created cartels. Yeah, it's like saying you, know, you can't just yeah. set a free at this point. I mean, it's, like, you know, like setting yeah. Russia free with all these corrupt communists taking over as the oligarchs of these, you know, these national industries. Right at the end of the Soviet Union, right? That structure still in place. Right, and you got these corrupt guys running these oh, yeah. the television industry, the the car industry, right, the oil industry, and they become billionaires because it's not a free market. What's well, like saying if, if Commonwealth Edison wanted to take over, you know, Conrad in New York, well, you got to let the free market wait. <laughs> so, so it's what is Commonwealth Edison and Conrad ever been part of the free market? The I owner, <laughs> the owner of that energy company wants a free market in the things that he yeah. buys. But yeah. he doesn't want a free market in the things that he sells. No, oh God, no, no, it's a. Anyway, I'll take care of yourself. Hey, uh, uh, your name came up at the table last night over a couple of adult beverages. Uh, oh, nice. Uh, one, of, one, of, one of the guys, maybe more than one, you lobbed that thing out about doing a uh, uh, an adjunct professor course. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. one of the guys we're, said... We're, if you, yeah, we need to build up our stable of adjuncts. We need some really good guys. Well, he was... One of the guys was saying, I'd love to do like half of one, and if I would do the other yeah. half or we could get three people, it'd be better, but... Uh, where we wouldn't be the same, listening to the same person every week. But there's some interest, so we'll have to talk. Cool. Awesome. All right, bud. Take care of yourself. SP Futures up 83. NASDAQ Futures up 275. We'll see if this keeps going. Boy, if it keeps going, I don't know how we're going to go. I'll be back tomorrow, Stocks and Jacks. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI ProDirect. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.